welcome back to Driving Theology. G G G G G. Uh, even though I haven't been posting these, I have been recording them faithfully, almost faithfully. A few exceptions because of illness. Um, so I'll try to just sit down and make some time to to post all these. Which, believe it or not, does take some effort, although not a terrible amount. Um, so, yeah, I thought I would just talk about some of the uh, events that uh, that have gone on this week, uh, recent events, uh, such as the death of Prince. Uh, as many of you know, and probably all of you know by now, especially if you grew up. Uh, with any, any of your teen years in the 80s, uh, I'm sure Prince uh, was a mainstay uh, of the soundtrack of your teenage years, uh, as he was for mine, uh, or part of it. And well, he was a mainstay, of course. Uh, yeah, so he he passed away, and I realized that really, you know, I'm, I'm 47 now, I haven't really paid any attention to Prince in, I would say, 20 years. Uh, now, back in 1989, oh, sorry, more than 20 years. It's been more like 25, 26 years. Back in 1989, he was, by that time, a bona fide superstar pop idol. Uh, and he was considered a worthy rival to Michael Jackson for much of the, uh, much of the 80s, uh, if not into the 90s. Uh, and, but yeah, I, I hadn't really paid any attention to him since, uh, 1989 when the movie Batman came out with Michael Keaton, the first of the Batman movies, uh, Prince was asked to do a soundtrack, uh, for the movie and he did a Batman album and because I was a fan of Batman, and loved the movie. I bought the Batman album, and as a matter of fact, it was the very first CD uh, I had ever bought. Uh, I had just gotten for my wedding gift from my father-in-law a CD player, amplifier, and speakers. Um, I think the uh, CD player and amp were Pioneer, and the speakers were Sony. Anyway, it's a really nice set, but I didn't really have any CDs, of course. Uh, and my father was a bit of an audio, my father-in-law was an audiophile, so he decided I needed a better setup since I was a musician of sorts. And anyway, so the first CD I bought, I'm pretty sure, was Prince's Batman album. And I, I don't think I knew what I was buying when I bought it. I think I probably thought that I was getting the Danny Elfman's um, score, movie score, uh, which later I did get as well. Uh, I really liked <clears throat> Danny Elfman's, uh, uh, yeah, background score or score to the to the movie Batman. Uh, he had done some things that were reminiscent of Wagner, uh, such as the uh, light motif, uh, which is where a character, in well, in the case of Wagner, a character in the opera is always introduced or when referenced 
uh, or foreshadowed with a musical motif. Um, and so he did that in his operas. It was one of the things that is most memorable. Well, in the in um, in the contemporary world, uh, you can see this, and everybody knows of this happening in in several movie scores. The first is probably Star Wars, and you notice it when you see Darth Vader for the first time. And he's got the, you know, his his march dun dun ta dun dun ta dun dun ta dun. Uh, so anytime that's referenced, you know they are talking about, or Darth Vader's about to come in, or he has indeed already come in. Uh, well, they had a motif for Batman, which uh, Elfman uh, had decided to employ. Which is the da 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 da. So anytime Bat went, Batman was about to come on the scene, you hear that motif, right? That's that identifies him. That's you know, which you know you could look at each motif and figure out just why the composer decided to use that those specific notes to refer to that character. In the case of Batman, you know it is it is a dark melody. Uh, there's some angst in there. There's some tension, right? Same thing with with Darth Vader. Uh, there's a uh, a sense of purpose, a, a dark sense of purpose, right? Dun dun ta tan tan ta tan tan. It's very uh, determined uh, and yet dark. It's you know both of those are written in minor keys, and, and I challenge you to find two darker characters. <laughs> Uh, in fiction than Batman and Darth Vader. I mean, Darth almost sounds like dark. And of course, Batman's uh, cave, you know, he, he lives in a dark cave. He's hes dark in terms of people don't know who he is. He's secretive. Uh, and he comes from a sad and dark background. Uh, and of course, usually his, his costume, his cars are dark. Uh, so anyway, uh, sorry, we kind of went from Prince into Danny Elfman. Uh, if you didn't know this before, uh, I love music. Um, I've, I've studied it. I've studied it in my youth, uh, as Salieri says in Amadeus. Uh, but I'm a student of music and a sometimes uh, amateur composer, uh, well, not so much composer, but songwriter, uh, and I still perform um, now and again, so, yeah, music is something that's very, very, very much a part of my identity, and uh, Prince was a really dedicated artist. And, and I think I, um, in many ways, really envy him. He had, albeit a, I don't know, uh, what's the word, licentious, licentiousness, licentious. Uh, he had a, a vision of who 
he wanted to be as an artist and he really went for it and arguably up and up until his death at 57 years old from the time he was 16 to the time he was 57 he really never let up on the gas pedal I mean as far as I can tell he put out one sometimes two probably an average of one album every year uh, and that's you know not counting live albums and and uh, special albums and things like that he he was just uh, the epitome um, uh, of the word <laughs> what's that word <laughs> what's that word where you 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 do a lot of it you you uh, just produce a lot of art and he he produced a lot of songs that I looked up and, and counted his albums and I thought I had count up counted up till 39 um, now I could be wrong on that it may be it may be fewer than 39 I can't remember uh, but he he just wrote lots and lots of songs and if you think that you know especially in his early albums where they were putting usually nine to ten tracks on an album you know not everything you write goes on an album uh, you you have a lot of songs and you pick the best ones or sometimes the the ones that match the theme of the album best and you put those on an album and some songs never make it to an album and yet they're recorded uh, and stored and and so Prince is rumored to have thousands of of uh, unperformed uh, or unrecorded at least un uh, uh, not sold on in albums sorry my my words are failing me right now but anyway it's re it's reported that he has just a, a huge body of work that has not been published yet uh, so it'd be interesting to see how uh, his whoever gets his estate deals with his uh, backlogs of songs uh, and the library of music that he has created that has never been heard by the public um, I'm not sure I'm not exactly sure why I'm talking about Prince except for the fact that since his death I've done nothing but but uh hum and sing Prince songs. Uh, Purple Rain um, has kind of mesmerized me and I even went as far as to buy uh, another Prince album, the, the only other Prince album I've ever owned besides the Batman album. Uh, and I bought a, uh, oh I think it was called Essential something like that essential prints or anyway it's a it's a it's a greatest hits album I think there's something like 20 or more tracks on it uh, now I, I wasn't a huge fan of Prince growing up and the reason I suppose is that my parents wouldn't have approved of me listening to Prince songs you know his early music after he got a little clout and a little standing, really became very, very raunchy and very, very sexual um, and explicit. 
right? In, in fact, apparently there's some list of the sexiest songs ever written or most explicit songs ever written. And I think it said he has number number two, number three, and number five on that list or something like that. Um, but, you know, he was a... For, for, for me, growing up in a very traditional... Uh, conservative Christian household um, for me to listen to his music I think I would have you know felt some guilt about it now a lot of a lot of kids I realized would have done it out of kind of rebellion but I wasn't a terribly rebellious child that uh, my sisters I think kind of were a little better at that than I was although none of us I don't think could be look, be called truly rebellious compared to some kids um, that I remember growing up with. Uh, so yeah, we wouldn't have we would have thought that that music is um, you know it wasn't appropriate for us, and and, and I, I I I don't think it was appropriate for us, you know, in retrospect. Um, and I'll, I'll get in more into the content of Prince's songs a little later, but I want to just say this, uh, as far as musicianship, I think we would be hard pressed to find anybody more talented who made their mark in the 80s than Prince. And I mean multi-talented. Yes, maybe Michael Jackson could uh, dance better than Prince, but he couldn't write better songs, necessarily. And he couldn't play instruments as well as Prince. Michael Jackson was extremely talented. In fact, I was more of a Michael Jackson fan in the 80s than I was a Prince fan, uh, for the previously mentioned reasons. Um, and, you know, maybe I just wasn't into the whole falsetto thing. That's pretty much Prince's early stuff was either falsetto or he had kind of a, a grainy, uh, uh, twangy's not the right word, but he had a very, um, yeah, resonant voice. So he, he was kind of an anomaly. His, his I, I would say he was probably a baritone right as far as his singing range but he he sang his low stuff kind of in a low very low baritone range and then he had this this amazingly high beautiful falsetto really really nice tone and he i think he recorded entire albums in that falsetto that's how comfortable he was with it and to do that, you know, to do that, and then to perform on stage on tour, and he was not just a recording artist. He was, he was first and foremost a performer. You know, he, he did uh, live shows all the time. Uh, to, to be able to sing in falsetto that long uh, and under those conditions, he must have had a pretty amazing vocal technique. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, and, and he, he was kind of known for doing longer, uh, longer concerts. Now, granted, he did probably more, uh, more instrumental stuff. There were more instrumental breaks. Some, in fact, he has albums that are entirely instrumental because 
he was such a talented instrumentalist. He was a he was a legit lead guitarist, and I think he could have played for almost any band at the lead guitarist spot. I think anybody would have loved uh, to have him, uh, but he didn't want to be pigeonholed as that. He he wanted to show that he could handle any aspect uh, of the music business, uh, at least from the production side. And so he wrote his songs, he sang in his songs, he played lead guitar in all of his songs, uh, and his very first album, uh, which the name is kind of eluding me right now, I can't remember what it's called, but he did an entire album with nine songs where he wrote every song, he sang every part, and some of the harmony, the, the first song is like four-part harmony. He sang, every, he sang every part, and he played every instrument. And we're talking uh, multiple, uh, uh, multiple, multiple percussion instruments, multiple keyboards, organs, things like this. Uh, lead guitar, acoustic guitar, bass guitar, and different styles of bass, right? He mastered these instruments to the point where I saw an interview with the, the agent who was uh, given his demo, and he listened to the demo and he said, wow, these guys are good. They've got, they've got a, a, you know, a great singer, good singer, the song is good, uh, and all the instrumentalists are, are right on point. You know, they're, they're, they're all very crisp, they're very good. Wow, what a great band. Where did you find these guys? Well, he was then told, uh, that it was just one guy. That one guy had done it all. And he was 16 years old. And so, you know, he, he was kind of blown away by that. And that's how Prince got his start. He was uh, amazingly versatile. Uh, and then at the same time, he was very serious at an early age. I mean, to, to be committed to learn that many instruments. To have the... Uh, you know, bravery to put it out there at that age and to record it and to get it recorded well. I mean, you can still buy the album on iTunes and we're talking about 1978, I think, is when it was, when it was released. Uh, and it, I listened to it this morning on iTunes. I was just, you know, leafing through some of the recordings and they're pretty crisp, pretty amazing. I, I was kind of shocked. Now, it's very different from his 80s style. You know, he's one of the people that defied the sound of the 80s. Uh, the way that he used electronic instruments, drum machines, uh, and and just his, yeah, just his style. Uh, it's kind of iconic. But in the 70s, he was much more of a disco guy. And you could see the, you know, kind of the, the funk and the disco side of him was, was uh, what he was going for, and of course he was riding right in the the, the golden years of, of the disco era. Um, anyway, pretty amazing musician, and he had a a big time rivalry uh, with Michael Jackson all through the eighties. Uh, they kind of were, you know, going toe toe for toe for 
over a certain market and they had some similarities they were both both kind of androgynous uh, in their appearance right they when they talked they kind of talked very uh, in a very high register and kind of very shy and almost demure I guess is the word um, they wore uh, somewhat uh, feminine, feminine, or effeminate clothes, uh, and Prince was a lot more flamboyant in his fashion, I think, than Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was very, uh, sharp and very neat, and, and, you know, he had a thing for, for suits and for uniforms, uh, especially military-type uniforms that he really, he really liked. Uh, whereas Prince was, you know, wild colors and, and furs and feathers and uh, stuff like this. Um, and they both uh, dabbled in movies. Michael Jackson put out Thriller, which was a 14, you know, just a 14 minute movie. Uh, yeah, I believe in 1983. And he won uh, Best best male vocalist that year, I think, uh, because of that album. And then Prince came out with Purple Rain, and not to be outdone, he wrote and uh, acted in and wrote the soundtrack for an entire uh, feature-length feature movie called Purple Rain. Uh, which is still probably what he's known best for, that movie and the album and the song. Uh, which was a, a very defining moment for him. And then the next year, 1984, I think, he won... Uh, yeah, he won a uh, Best Male Vocalist Award at the Grammys, I believe. And so these two were kind of going back and forth, and they were very, very interested in what... Uh, the other was doing, and, and uh, I wouldn't say that they copied or emulated each other, but there are some things that make you go, you know, hmm, wonder what's going on here, you know. Uh, but musically, I think they both started out the same, right? They both started out very much disco. If you take Michael Jackson's Off the Wall album, you'll see a, an album very much solidly in the disco tradition as uh, Prince's first couple albums. Uh, but then they both started defining a new pop sound. And it, it meant something different with Michael Jackson than it did with Prince, I think. It was a slightly, you know, it was a different aesthetic. Um, and Michael Jackson still wasn't really writing, I don't think, many of his own pieces at this time. He, he, did more and more of that and did a great job, I think, in the 90s. The, the Michael Jackson of the 90s is really my favorite Michael Jackson. Uh, but Prince, oops, sorry, my phone just popped off my holder. Yeah, so Prince and Michael Jackson kind of went somewhat different directions, whereas Michael Jackson was really going for the popular 
audience. He wasn't really trying to shock people so much. He did some of that in the 90s. Uh, but yeah, in the 80s, he was very much, you know, popular. He was, you know, we call him the king of pop. Well, maybe he called himself the king of pop because of the fact uh, that he was wildly popular. I mean, parents would go to his concerts. Adults liked him. Old people loved him. Young people loved him. Uh, his dance move, the moonwalk, which was borrowed from another performer, really went crazy, you know. Uh, his th uh, theatrics uh, were just amazing in his concerts, you know, and he really put a lot into the, the creative side of each concert to make it an experience, you know, and they were, they were themed very much. Whereas Prince was much more the rock singer. He was very much a band leader. You know, he, he had his uh, instrumentalists. He, he almost always performed on the guitar. He, and he, he, he did dance. I mean, he, he was, became a very good dancer. Uh, much like uh, James Brown, I think. But he was still very much a, a band person, you know, a, a band nerd, if you will. He he uh, was in the studio a lot. He wrote a lot. He was very prolific. That's the word I was looking for earlier. He was very prolific. Whereas Michael Jackson, I, I couldn't tell you how many albums he put out, but I'm sure it's less than 10. My guess is it's more like six solo albums that he put out. You know, Prince put out 30 or 40. He probably put out three for every one Michael Jackson album. Um, so they were different in styles that way. Uh, now, Prince, in his later years, somewhere around, I'm not sure, 2000, 2001, I believe he was converted into the Jehovah's Witness religion. And at that time, if um, if his friends can be believed, he really made attempts, and, and apparently did until the end of his life, to clean up his act a bit. Uh, some people even said that he would change the lyrics of his old songs to be less offensive. He really, uh, I think, tried to be a better role model. Now, I'm saying this not knowing the circumstances of his death, whether or not drugs or alcohol were involved, and, and even if they were, you know, there are there are people who try that, though they might, to overcome addictions and things. They they do their best, and they they didn't always they didn't always do uh, as well as they'd like to, uh, and, and sometimes. That's the last thing you do. Uh, be that as it may, it sounds like he tried to clean up his act. And when you look at his newer albums, you do see less uh, sexually explicit uh, titles, at least. I haven't listened to all of his songs. There's just so many of them. I suppose he's published over 400 songs, is my guess. Um.
sounds like he truly made a change of heart. And though I don't agree with uh, the theology, especially the Christology of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, I, I do appreciate people making an effort, no matter who they are, to excuse me, to follow, uh, to follow what God wants them to do to the best of their ability. We know that Prince died uh, childless. He had uh, two children. One uh, was a miscarriage, and the other one died, I believe, just a week after being born. He was born with a severe birth defect or some kind of an illness. Uh, and the strain of losing those two children by the same wife, I think, caused him to divorce. And I don't believe he remarried after that. He had been married twice. Uh, which is another thing, you know, these two guys who were somewhat, uh, somewhat known for their androgynous fashion and mannerisms uh, were uh, both married, both had children, both Michael Jackson and Prince. Um, in an era where they could have very openly openly been gay and been accepted, and they weren't. And, you know, for me, it goes to prove what I've always suspected, or maybe it's evidence of, I wouldn't say it's proof, but it's evidence of something I've expected at least, and that is uh, that being effeminate uh, does not, is not the same thing as being gay, right? It's not the same thing. And I'm not going to go into my views on homosexuality at this point, but uh, yeah, that's just something that was interesting to me. Uh, and both had bad luck with their marriages, you know, but they're not the only people uh, to have multiple divorces uh, who are famous. Uh, I think there are lots and lots of those guys out there. Uh, not to mention all the people who are not famous who uh, go through divorce. So, um, yeah, Prince, there you are. Amazingly talented person who uh, was driven to pursue what he saw as his calling and was uncompromising uh, in his level uh, of artistry, at least in his medium, uh, who uh, never let up on the pedal, who devoted his life to the pursuit of music and the uh, pursuit of uh, performing in front of people, I guess bringing people, uh, if you wanna if you wanna call it that, joy or, or uh, whatever, you know. He didn't seem to be extravagant terribly so in his lifestyle or spending. He was a very private person, again, much like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson had some, uh, you know, other things, of course we know of the the accusations um, 
that personally I don't believe. I know a lot of people uh, may give me flack for that, but it's just a it's just a personal thought. I never bought that he um, would have hurt children. It didn't seem consistent with the the songs he wrote, the person he was, the things he cared about. It just did not seem consistent at all. I, I'll concede that he was unwise and probably didn't have to antagonize the media and could have been more forthcoming and could have been just smarter in the way that he uh, was around kids. But I don't see him as an abuser. Be that as it may, you know, jury's out and, and I guess we'll always be out um, yeah so uh, what else can we say about Prince I really don't have a uh, really don't have a correlation to make uh, you know we the several things we could say I guess though now that I think about it you know we call these guys idols pop idols or pop stars and they really do become idols and they have their own idols you know Prince's idol for a long time was his music he he uh, sacrificed all to do what he wanted to do what he felt he's supposed to do and what he felt called to do um, and for many years, I think it's obvious that, that it wasn't God he was pursuing. And so for, you know, Prince, he had his own idol. It was possibly himself or his music or could have been money, could have been sex. Um, I'm not sure what it was for him specifically. You know, but for a lot of people who are these fans, uh, who are, you know, diehard fans of an actor, an athlete, uh, or a musician who would go to great lengths and give up uh, and really do anything to see a concert or to meet them or, or to you know to go to their movie or whatever uh, these people become idols to us they become false heroes right uh, which is really what an idol is because in our minds, we give them superpowers and, and, and imagine that they can do great things. But really, the, the one who gave them their talents is so much greater. And I think that's one of the meanings of idolatry, is when you give credit to someone for having the attributes of God, who is not God. Right? Who is not God. Uh, or something that you pursue in order to take the place of God. When something uh, becomes more important to you. And we all have them. You know, we all have them or have had them. Uh, I, I, I do leave out, or leave hope that some people have conquered their idols. And, and uh, Jesus has made it to the top in their lives. I hope there's people that have done that because if there haven't, 
there's no hope for me either. Um, but you know, as a as a a once um, very motivated musician myself, uh, music was an idol for me. There's no doubt. Uh, it was how I identified myself. It was. Uh, um, it was where I found my value. So, you know, as a, as a performer, if you're not performing, if you're not doing your music, if, if you're not, uh, if you haven't been hired, uh, if you don't have something on your schedule, uh, if you're not performing, you suddenly think that you're worthless, right? That you have no value. And so when you are performing, when you do have a job or a gig, uh, you suddenly feel more valuable because as a musician, you are being used in a better way, right? Uh, that's how it becomes an idol. You know, as a, as a believer in Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, we find our identity in Him. Our value uh, as people is only found in Him and is defined by Him through no, uh, to, to no credit of our own. Does that even make sense? We, take, we can't take credit for the value that we've been given because Jesus has freely given that to us and that's what grace is. Uh, he has said, you are, you know, you have value. I have made you valuable to me by taking away your sins. Reconciling you to God, um, and so once you realize that your value is found in Jesus, that, that you are not righteous on your own, but Jesus has become our righteousness. He has made us righteous. He has defined us as righteous because His blood has allowed that to happen. The shedding of it, the the. the, the the sins that we would have on us, he uh, dragged down to the grave with him and killed them, killed sin, he killed death. Uh, you know, so anytime you find your identity in anyone but Jesus, it's idolatry, right? <clears throat> you know, do you, do you identify as American? Do you find your identity more in the red, white, and blue uh, than you do on the crucified Savior? If you do, America has become an idol to you, right? Um, now, is America part of your identity? I, I, you know, if, if you're American, I suppose. You know, I suppose it is. Um, but that's one of the things, and Paul talks about it. Paul gave up his, his, you know, a Jew of Jews. He was a, he was a, a very good Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was, you know, circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin and all this stuff. He says, you know, it's all rubbish. It's all nothing because he realized that that identity 
had no power to transform him in his life. Only an identity found in Jesus has any transformative power. And if you've lived very long on this earth, you know that you are in need of transformation. There's something not quite right with us. You know, there's, there's a part of us that needs saving and we can't do it ourselves. Just, just about home. Um, I know that was a weird tie-in in the end. I, I really didn't know how to to uh, bring a spiritual thought to it. Not that you know everything must have some kind of a arbitrary spiritual tag, but that is something that I've been thinking a lot about about the idols that Christians have. taking away from their identity in Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to sign out, and hopefully this has worked. It looks like it has, thank goodness. And uh, I wish everybody a great week, and hopefully I'll get these posted soon. Uh, goodbye.